Over the last few weeks, we've been in this conversation about Lent. And as we journey towards Good Friday and Easter and this, this time of the year that we celebrate uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, we celebrate the, the life-changing power that we see in God's plan to redeem us. We've been discussing what it means to live a purposeful life of reflection and preparation. That we wouldn't just look at Easter as that one-time-a-year event that we sugar our kids up and then set them loose just to see what happens, you know, and we exchange gifts and, and uh, chase Easter eggs around. But more than that, it would be a time that we step back and we take stock of what God has done in our lives and we reflect. See, we've, we've not been called to merely celebrate God's incredible power once a year. No, instead we should be daily reminded of His amazing love and His redemption of His creation. Over the past several weeks, we've grappled with the reality of death, understanding that while our time on this earth is short, we've been given the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We've embraced that every one of us has been created in God's own image, this imago Dei as we, as we talked about it, but that we struggle with a, a natural propensity to pursue our own purpose and desires and dreams, things that we want for our lives. And last week we discovered that it's not enough to just change our behavior, change the way that we do things in life, but that God is wanting to bring about a transformational change, a spiritual change in our lives, and He wants to change us from the inside out. Interestingly enough, today we turn our attention to our actions and what they tend to say to the world that God has called us to impact for His glory. See, our actions oftentimes speak a lot louder than anything we could ever say. The old adage, actions speak louder than words. We've all heard it. And we all probably have seen it in other people's lives where we go, oh yeah, you say this, but then you do this. But we don't often turn the lens back on ourselves and have the same level of scrutiny. You know, there's another adage that say, it says, words are cheap or, or talk is cheap. Right? We've all heard that. And it's true that if you, if you proclaim something or you declare that you are something or you say this but do that, then your words really are meaningless. So when it comes to our faith, if our words and our actions are saying two different things, then we have to look at our actions to understand the truth. We have to look at what we do to really understand who we are. So, how do we bring our actions into alignment with the truth we claim to believe as followers of Jesus? That's the question for today. And the Apostle Paul has a direct challenge and encouragement to us that he gave through the letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to jump into Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 here in just a, a moment. That's our text for today. So, you can Flip there if you'd like, but I'd like to just take this moment to stop and publicly apologize. You know, I received a lot of flack last week uh, because I proceeded to use uh, chocolate milk as an illustration in my sermon, and I mixed it up and I took a sip of it in front of everybody, 
and there was weeping and gnashing of teeth that followed. So I apologize. That was not a, a, a nice thing to do, and it won't ever happen again. I actually had one person say, you probably should have passed out chocolate milk after the service, and then it would have been okay. I'm only human, all right? But as we flip in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can join us there. If you don't, you can jump on your Bible app, and uh, the Version Bible app, and find us there. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, this is what Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for loving us so that we can love others. We thank you for showing us what it means to live a life of action through Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would give us the strength not just to say words that sound good and sound Christ-like, but that we would live our lives in such a way that we would be seen to be your followers. Father, humble us and, 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 and awaken our hearts and our minds to what you would want to say to us today. We ask that you would speak to us, and Lord, that your word would challenge us. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together in your presence and to worship you. Pray your blessing on this time, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, this idea of actions and words, words and actions, is something that I think we, we, we've all watched and struggled with throughout our lives. We, we see this, this, this desire to, to, to say all the right things, but then we don't often back up our words with actions that are pleasing to God. And when we come to this place of considering our words and our actions, there's a few things that we have to embrace. First, we need to let our walk match our talk. Let your, your, your walk match your talk. See, we tend to like to talk like Christians, but sometimes we don't act like Christians. And unfortunately, the, we've all seen it. You know, you know, leaders in the church, pastors who have failed and have said one thing and done something else with their ministry. We've seen all these different places where the church has, has let people down. And that's because it's full of imperfect people. But Christianity has gotten a little bit of a black eye over the years. The church has kind of taken in the chin a time or two. See, we've all heard the phrase, walk the walk, don't just talk the talk. But the important reality is how often this is not what we see in people's lives. 
they say one thing, they do something else, and we get confused. It's like, well, I thought you said you were about this, but you're more about that. And we, we tend to live in a society that's all about talk. Right? People just talk and talk and talk, and sometimes you wish they'd stop talking, and you kind of just wish they'd maybe just live their lives. But people make claims about everything. You know, they claim this and they claim that. And, you know, if you do this and you do this and you do this, then life will be great. And if, if you just act more like me, the world would be better. You know, if you just all kind of were more like Dan. You know, I think we, we tend to watch our politicians and our government officials and we struggle with the fact that it seems like they talk a lot, but they don't really ever get anything done. And certainly everybody's on different sides of the spectrum when it comes to that. But social media is is chocked full of so-called experts because they read a blog or a book or they visited a website and now all of a sudden, let's jump up on our platforms and let's spew our thoughts and opinions to the world because they are gospel because I read a really cool meme the other day. And so I want to share my amazing wisdom and knowledge with you. And of course, if you need the answer to any question, now you can just Google it because Google's a verb for crying out loud. And you just you know, Google your question and Wikipedia pops up and everybody knows that Wikipedia is gospel, so boom, there you go. Whatever you need, you got it at your fingertips. But we love to talk and talk and talk. You know, there's a lot of talking that happens in our household. Sometimes a little too much. But we love, our, we love our kids, and we have only one at home. Our daughter Leah, we love her. She's sweet. She's 17. And both our boys are gone away to college now, but, but Leah fills in the gaps for us. Um, I don't know what, the, I can't remember what the numbers are. If it's, you know, women say 5,000 words, and men say 1,000, or if it's 10,000 and 2,000, but... Leah typically manages to throw, I think, a, probably around 50,000. And we love it, but sometimes we're wondering if there's an off button or a mute button because the more tired she gets, the more talkative she gets. It's, re- it's really interesting. But we love her, and she will use those amazing words for something amazing. We're confident of that. But we, li- we, we live in a society that talks, talks, and talks. The truth is, the best way to get to know someone is not by listening to them talk. No, instead it's by watching how they live. Watching how they act. Because you can say all the right things, but if your actions say something else, mm-hmm. See, we, 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 we live in a self-absorbed society where everyone innately wants to be noticed, right? We want to We want the affirmation. We want people to see us and think we're smart and great and amazing. That's that's all well and good. But we easily fall into the trap of wanting to tell everyone about the great things that we've done if we've not been affirmed or of some amazing accomplishment that we've undertaken. And sometimes we even do it unconsciously. You ever been at a a party or a birthday party or a social gathering where there's you know, people interacting all over the place and somebody from across the room is, you know, kind of waving and you're like, 
hey, and then you get a little bit closer and you realize they're looking over your shoulder at somebody else, and you're like, hey, I was waving at the person behind you. And we can get to that place where we just think it's all about us if we're not careful. Insecurity sets in and we need to convince people that we've got it all together. But when it comes to your walk with Jesus, the most important question is what are your actions saying? I read an article, it actually said, what are, what's your doing saying? What are our actions saying to people? When it comes to our faith, if our words and our actions are saying different things, then the actions will reveal the truth of what's going on in our hearts. See, there's been many times in my life that I claim to be a Christian, claim to be a follower of Jesus. And then when given the time or the opportunity to reflect Jesus, I failed miserably. Lost my temper with my kids. Leah would probably say a hearty amen. My boys watching online are probably like, oh yeah, let me tell you. But I've, I've treated Gretchen, my wife, unfairly. You know, I've lost my, my temper. I've gotten frustrated. I've said something hurtful because I was upset. And Christ did not come out of me. I can even remember a time when I worked in manufacturing and I was managing a bunch of different production lines and I can remember coming in, you know, we, we had multiple shifts and so we all had to set each other up with raw materials so that when you came in, you could start the line up and get going and start building windows. And I remember coming in one day and we didn't have enough raw materials prepared and I remember that the solution I thought would be great and probably very Christ-like would be to get into a shouting match with my co-manager who was in charge of that production line with me. So I had it out with him and ripped him a new one and said, you know, crying out loud, don't you do that again. You disrupted our whole entire day. And I'm sure Jesus was just up there smiling, going, man, that's exactly what you should have done. WWJD, baby, right there. But James 2.18 tells us, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Did you hear that? Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Not by what I say, but by how I live. You know, Jesus dealt extensively with people who scrutinized his words and his actions throughout Scripture, throughout His ministry. He was constantly ridiculed and constantly challenged by the scholars of the day and the religious leaders. And there's a very interesting scene in John chapter 10 as Jesus deals with a, a group of unbelieving Jewish leaders who are getting increasingly frustrated because they're unable to explain His miracles and His ministry. Do you understand this? They're, they're waiting for the Messiah. And this guy shows up and starts doing all these amazing, miraculous works. And they can't explain it. Because only God should be able to do these things. This, this scene in John chapter 10 deals 
with this group of, of Jewish leaders. And watch what happens when they ask him if he is in fact the Messiah. If you turn to John chapter 10, verse 22, the words are on the screen as well. It says, Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus is saying, look at what I've been doing. Look at my ministry. That should tell you everything you need to know. And yet, when He makes this claim that He is the Messiah, things escalate pretty quickly. If you go on to the next verse, John chapter 10, verse 31, it says, again, His Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone Him. So, take the again part. This wasn't the first time they were getting ready to stone Him. Verse 32, But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone Me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, I have said you are God's, if he, if he called them gods to whom the, the Word of God came and Scripture cannot be set aside, what about the One whom the Father set apart as His very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse Me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's Son. Do not believe Me unless I do the works of My Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe Me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Did you hear that? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. See, Jesus is trying to take the attention off of the dialogue and say, look at what's happening. Look at the the life change. Look at the transformation. Look at the miracles. Look at the healings that are taking place. Put your stock in that. Stop worrying about what I'm saying. But they're so wrapped up in His words, they can't see past it. You know, it's interesting in this story, the Jews don't want to stone Jesus for His works. They want to stone Him for His words. They're missing what's happening right in front of them because they're so wrapped up in Jesus' words. But Jesus in this passage is saying in essence that His works are also His words. That they're combined. That He is who He says He is and He's doing what His Father sent Him to do. See, faith 
by its very nature, produces action. Right? Faith and action are intertwined. We see that in the Bible. Faith without works is dead. Each of us is wired to feel and act in accordance to what we believe to be true. So whatever you believe is how you will live. We're designed that way. Here's the rub. (laughs) For sinful humans whose selfish, selfish pride so frequently grabs for the control of our words, the things that come out of our mouth can be pretty unreliable. Because we don't always say the right things. We don't always represent Jesus the way that we should. But the words of our actions speak with a powerful and sometimes painful eloquence as to what we believe. Because you can't lie about your actions. So what are your actions saying? What do you do when you're alone and nobody else is watching? When your plans are suddenly interrupted or you find yourself disappointed or you're Weakness is exposed in, in, in front of people or you're tempted to be fearful or someone else prospers or succeeds or excels in front of you. Or you're called on to help meet someone else's financial need. What are your actions saying? How much of a priority do you make church, spiritual community, encouraging one another, coming together in fellowship, When those who are closest to you are really honest, those who observe you in your unguarded, uncalculated moments, what do they hear from your actions? Because these are the truest signs of what's really going on inside of us. You know, these are exposing and, and, and convicting questions. But here's the reality. Jesus had perfect consistency between his words and his works. His words and his actions were one. But for the the rest of us, it's a work in progress. It takes some time for us to come to that place of really truly reflecting Jesus. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives every day. See, the daily journey of faith is a constant Workout. It's not, you know, show up at church on Sunday and then boom, just put it on cruise control for the rest of the week because we're good. I prayed, I read my Bible, whew, check that one off the list. No, we have to daily be in that constant place of seeking and pursuing God. Because we can get mixed up in understanding what it means to truly live out our faith in Jesus on a daily basis. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 12, if we go back to our text, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and what? Trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, these... These verses have confused many of us for years. 
confuse believers because at first it sounds like Paul is saying that salvation is something we have to work to achieve. Work out your faith. So we got to figure this all out. we got to do it all right. It's got to be perfect. And then we can achieve salvation. But in the next verse, he says that salvation is what God is working in each of us. Right? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. See, Paul's point is this. Salvation is a God action. It's not a you action. Nothing you can do can earn you salvation. Nothing that you can say can get you saved. Nothing that we can become will put us in right standing with God. That's not how it works. It's a purely God action. It's God's action toward His creation. And it's in this action that we see God's truest identity. One of unconditional, perfect love. It's thinking that salvation is somehow a human action that that often causes us a lot of problems. Because we start chasing and pursuing things that really aren't going to be helpful. You know, for, for centuries, people have tried to turn salvation into something they can control. And it's usually done in one of two ways. There's the religious way. People who go to the religious way attempt to earn salvation by becoming their own savior. I can save myself. If I just work hard enough at it, I'll I'll be able to do that. And usually, this is done through a, a strict adherence to religious rules. Do this, and then do this, and do then do this, and then do this, and, and, and now we're good. And if you notice, this is an entirely human endeavor. This is all predicated on how well we can do a, a, a set of things. And for the biblical leaders and scholars of Jesus' day, that was what they were doing. They were following the, the, the Mosaic law, the, the Jewish law that said you've got to do these things in this order and, and attend to these different, different practices and then you'll be in right standing with God. And when Jesus came to fulfill the law, all of that stuff changed. And they couldn't wrap their brains around the fact that the Messiah was standing right before them, fulfilling God's plan and purpose. See, there's many religious worldviews that exist today that emphasize works. If you're good to people and you give and you're generous and you're kind and you help your neighbors out and you do all these wonderful things, then you're going to reach euphoria. You'll, you'll embrace your own collab and you'll get you know, whatever thing in paradise. And there's plenty of religions that focus solely on works. So there's the religious way, then there's the irreligious way. People who go the irreligious way attempt to earn their salvation by attempting to become their own Lord. So they take lordship and control over their lives. And rather than strictly following someone else's rules, the irreligious set their own rules. Eh? Sounds pretty good. 
set my own rules, set my own time, set my own schedule, baby. But this too is a purely human endeavor. These are the people who like to live how they want and then they say things like, me and God, we've got an understanding. It's all good. I can do this and I can do this and I can do this. It's all good. Me and God, we've got an understanding. He knows me. He knows I'm a pretty good guy. We've worked it out. We had a little, little you know, negotiation and he kind of gave me you know, some latitude in these areas. And we tend to get to that place of thinking we've just got it all figured out. The problem with both of these methods is that neither one of them really takes sin very seriously. We kind of kind of take sin and we, we kind of, it's like a wink and a nod, like, ah, it's, you know, man. as long as you're not, you know, really bad. And we don't take the, the consequences of sin very seriously. Both assume that sin is something that can be managed or handled. That if we just don't sin too much, don't outsend the grace of God, you know, maybe. But the reality is Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 states clearly all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The actual translation is soiled rags. So no matter how great we think we are, no matter how well we've lived our lives, no matter how many you know, people we, we help out, out of the grocery store with their groceries, that, that isn't enough. Because our sin still creates a chasm between us and God. This means, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2.12, that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling He's getting at the fact that we must remain humble in allowing God to do the work in us that needs to be done each and every day. And guess what? This means that we'll face resistance in life, that we'll face hardship, that there will be struggle, that we'll have to depend on God. How many people love to exercise? Exactly. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> I was reading a, an article the other day, and it was a medical research magazine. And it said, according to medical research, muscle size increases when a person continually challenges the muscles to deal with higher levels of resistance or weight. This process is known as, I'm going to mutilate this, babe, so my anatomy major wife could probably help me with this muscle hypertrophy we're gonna go with that but this occurs when the fibers of the muscles sustain damage or injury the body repairs damaged fibers by fusing them which increases the mass and size of the muscles did you catch that muscles build when there's resistance the process actually includes the tearing of muscle fibers Sounds painful, yeah? But it's necessary for the big picture. Gaining muscle, strength, and growth. As Christians, we desire to be like Christ, to be the person He wants us to be, to be a good Christian, but this only comes with testing, with tearing, increased load, and resistance in our everyday life. 
Where in Scripture does it say, ask Jesus to become your personal Savior, and it's a cakewalk after that. It's all daisies and roses and songs. The hills are alive with the sound. No, Scripture tells us plainly, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus tells us right out of the chute, it's going to be hard. You're going to face struggles. You're going to face tearing. You're going to face burdens. But I got you. I've overcome it. So as we face this hardship and the, and the difficulty, will we allow the Spirit of God to change and transform us through the working out of our faith and salvation? Our actions and response when we do allow that process to take place will more and more reflect Jesus because we'll realize it's nothing that we're saying or doing. It's, it's, it's nothing that we are trying to become. It's all by the grace of God that He is building us more and more into His likeness. You know, it's interesting because Paul knows this firsthand because he's writing this letter from prison. We tend to think our lives are hard. And I'm not saying that every one of us in this room have not faced in, in, in incredible hardship at one point in your life. You may be right in the midst of an impossible circumstance. But let me just tell you, we don't have anybody bombing us out of our homes. We don't have anybody driving us out of our country for fear of our lives. We tend to allow the difficulties of life to blind us from what God is doing in the midst of it. And His greatest desire is that we would trust Him and we would embrace the fact that we need Him daily. See, the, the key to Christ-like living is consecration. In order to live a life fully devoted to God with actions that speak life and love, we need to be consecrated for God's purpose. See, consecration can sometimes feel like a, a churchy word when it's not defined because we don't all use that word probably in our everyday language. Hey, have you consecrated yourself today? I just consecrated myself about an hour ago. So, No, we don't, it's not a word we use that often. But to be consecrated in the Bible simply meant to be set apart. To be set apart. And interestingly, when we talk about Christ-like living, Jesus was the very picture of one set apart for God's work. Fully God, fully man. Set apart for the work of Father God. Always about the Father's business. See, Paul starts in this passage in Philippians 2.12, as we've been studying, by saying, therefore, my dear friends. And whenever we see the word therefore, we should always ask, what's it? 
holy mackerel. I mean, I, I teed it up. It was just like, it was, it was right. I mean, whenever we see the word therefore, we should ask, what's it? Thank you. You know, you only use the word therefore if there's important information that has been previously provided. And in this particular passage of Scripture, we have to look back. So what important information is Paul referring to in verse 12? Well, if we look back to verse 5, Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus didn't walk around like, I am God. Bow down and worship Me. That was not the ministry. Jesus was selfless. He became a servant. He even served His disciples. He washed His disciples' nasty feet. But He was constantly doing for others. He was constantly healing and ministering to and loving and coming alongside of the, the broken and the beat down and the despised. He lived a life for others. Even to death on a cross. See, this, this love of God, Jesus came, coming as a man, emptying Himself of His glory in order to reach across the divide of sin to give us salvation and life, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense in our finite minds because it's a different level of love and devotion. But we can see this picture where Jesus becomes our Savior and our Lord. He's the one who saves us from ourselves, saves us from our sin, and He becomes Lord over our lives where we submit ourselves to His Lordship. So we need to remember God has done the work to provide us a way back to Him and a way to reflect His love through our actions. We only need to be willing to consecrate ourselves, to set ourselves apart for His work. You know, a friend of mine gave me this little book pamphlet thing that by, by Mark Batterson. It's called Going All In. One decision can change everything. And I want to read a little excerpt about consecration. It's, uh, it's called Amazing Things. It says, anytime God is about to do something amazing in our lives, He calls us to consecrate ourselves to Him. That pattern was established right before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and conquered the Promised Land. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you, is what Scripture says. Here's our fundamental problem. We try to do God's job for Him. We want to do amazing things for God, and that seems noble, but we've got it backwards. God wants to do amazing things for us. That's His job, not ours. Our job is consecration. That's it. And if we do our job, God will most certainly do His. Before I tell you what consecration is, let me tell you what it isn't. It's not going to church once a week. It's not daily devotions. It's not fasting during Lent. 
It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not sharing your faith with friends. It's not giving God the tithe. It's not repeating the sinner's prayer. It's not volunteering for a ministry. It's not leading a small group. It's not raising your hands in worship. It's not going on a missions trip. All of those things are good things. But that isn't consecration. It's more than behavior modification. It's more than conformity to a moral code. It's more than doing good deeds. It's something deeper. Something truer. The word consecrate means to set yourselves apart. By definition, consecration demands full devotion. It's dethroning yourself and enthroning Jesus Christ. It's the complete divesture of all self-interest. It's giving God veto power. It's surrendering all of you to all of Him. It's a simple recognition that every second of time, every ounce of energy, every penny of money is a gift from God and for God. Consecration is an ever-deepening love for Jesus, a childlike trust in the Heavenly Father, and a blind obedience to the Holy Spirit. Consecration is all that and a thousand things more. But for the sake of simplicity, let me give you my personal definition of consecration. Consecration is going all in and all out for the all and all. Are we all in for God? Or are we still hanging on to parts of our lives? See, Batterson says, by definition, consecration demands full devotion. It's dethroning yourself and enthroning Jesus. Guess what? We have to be willing to dethrone ourselves and enthrone Jesus every single day. It's not a one-time deal. So what does this look like practically? Here's four areas of your life and what your actions reveal. Prayer. Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. See, the action of prayer reveals how much you truly believe what you say about God. How big are your prayers? That dictates how big your God is. You can't say you believe in the power of prayer if you never pray. God has wonderful things in store for your life and mine, but we have not because we ask not. What about reading and, stu- and studying your Bible? Ephesians 4.14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. We live in a deceitful world that wants to twist truth. One of the keys to growing in Christ is tied to our connection to the Word of God. How often do you open this? How often are you reading and studying the Word of God? Many people talk about wanting to grow in their walk with God, but they never take time to open His Word. They never take time to study His promises. 
I encourage you to read and study on your own. We have life journals still out in the lobby. If you have not gotten a chance to grab one of those, please do. They've got Bible reading plans. They've got journaling pages. And there's a great structure in there that will enable you to have success in studying the Word diligently. And if you take action on this, I promise you, you will grow and mature in your walk with Christ. Obedience. John 14.15 says, If you love Me, keep My commands. The greatest demonstration of your love for Jesus is if you obey His commands. Love God. Love your neighbors. It's pretty simple. It's not enough to know what Jesus says. We have to do what He says. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Actions. And then finally, loving your neighbors. 1 John 3.17 If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Do we merely call ourselves Christians? Call ourselves followers of Jesus? Or are we living it out daily? The ultimate display of love for our brothers and sisters, really for anyone, is how we treat them. And that verse puts the principles of actions speaking louder than words front and center. See, the things we do have the potential to speak much greater volumes than anything we could ever say. And there may be a few exceptions to this, but the words of John in 1 John 3.18 ring true now. Dear children, let us, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's up to each of us daily to let our faith and action speak loudly of our love for God and our love for others. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we close? Father, we thank You that You've not only invited us into relationship and shown us incredible, amazing, unfathomable love, but God, You've called us to, to live the same way. But we know that we can't do it in our own power. All we can do is change our behavior. But no, we need to be consecrated. We need to be set apart for Your purposes, for Your glory, for Your plan. And we know that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And so, Father, we pray that You'd continue the work to change and transform us from the inside out. Lord, that we would not only reflect Your image, but Father, our lives would be lived out in such a way that people see the love of Jesus in us. Let our actions match any words that we say about who You are, how much You love us. God, today we want our actions to speak for us. We want our belief in You to be matched with the way that we live our lives. And we need Your help. Father, we just ask humbly for Your help. We ask that You would give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the wisdom, guide us by Your Spirit that we might point people to You.
Father, we thank You. This morning, perhaps you find yourself sitting in this room or tuning in online saying, I've never made the decision to set myself apart. I've never made the decision to allow the power of God to consecrate me for His work. I've never said yes to God. I've never made the decision to follow Jesus with my whole heart. Today we want to give you that opportunity. Every one of us has that decision set before us. The Bible says that God puts eternity in each of our hearts. He sets it, sets it before us. But we have to make the decision to step into it. And so this morning, if you're desiring to make that decision, the Bible says if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We will receive eternal life. We'll be invited into relationship with Father God. And so today, we want to say this prayer with you. If you're making that decision for the first time, we would ask that you say these words and you believe them in your heart. But church, can we say this together so that we don't embarrass anyone? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And he died and was raised back to life so I could have relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. What we are excited to celebrate with you is you've made that decision. We want to hear from you. We have Bibles out in the lobby for you, and we want to take those next steps with you. But here's the deal, church. It doesn't matter what we say. It only matters what we do. And so as we go out of this place today, we say this every week, but it cannot be more true than this moment where God is desiring that our actions would reflect Him. So as we go out of this place and we strive to be the neighborhood, being is an action word. It's not a talk word. So let's let these have a little bit of a break. Let's live our lives in a way that people see Jesus in us. And hopefully as we do that, we might have the opportunity to bring them along and help them find their way to God's plan for their lives. God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll be here Wednesday night for the midweek Bible study. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful week. Let's be the neighborhood.